Well, good morning again. Just want to welcome you. So glad you're here. I'm Nathan, uh, campus pastor here at Christ Community, the Olathe campus. It's great to be together uh, as we continue both this, this time of Advent and, and celebration leading up towards Christmas. Hard to believe there's only one more Sunday other than today, right? In between now and Christmas and the great celebration that we uh, gather together and celebrate. Um, and, and yeah, it's, it's, it's coming quite soon. I hope, hope that you're eager for it. Also, we're kind of at the tail end of this thing called Open Here, or at least the, what, what we're doing this year for Open Here. You'll hear a little bit more about what's coming next year as far as Bible reading. Uh, but we've been going through the whole Bible, right? And we have, uh, after this morning, just two weeks left. Uh, to do so. It's a little bit of a different Advent series, right? has a little bit of a different feel for it, um, but hopefully, hopefully you're still engaging uh, with us as we open God's Word together. Uh, why don't I pray for us, and we'll, we'll jump in. God, I'm so thankful for uh, your love, for your goodness. God, thank you that we uh, get to gather, to, to sing your praises, to, to be in community with one another, to love one another, and, and to sit around this ancient book, which we believe still speaks. And so we pray that you would do that. God, I pray that you would uh, comfort those who are here this morning who need comfort, that you would bring encouragement. Um, God, for those who feel lonely, I pray that they would feel loved. And God, for those who um, haven't met you, God, we pray that this would be a place in which they could experience your grace. Um, And so we trust you for these things, Lord Jesus. Be with us now as we look into your word in Christ's name. Amen. Well, I love people. Um, I mean, as, as much as I, as much as I whine and complain about people, right? I, I know I, I'm guilty of that, and and don't get me wrong, I still think people are the worst, okay? Um, and, and yet, I I do love people, right? I I just love how weird we all are, right? I mean, have you thought about this? Like, I mean, you know what I'm talking about. That every person has those those quirks, those things about them. When you when you find out, you're just like, huh? Really? You know? Uh, like, like, for example, um, I don't think I've ever shared this with you before. Um, I sometimes, when I'm at home alone with my family, you know, no one else, I sometimes like to pretend that I'm starring in my own Broadway musical. And I will sing made-up songs about whatever it is I, I happen to be doing, just out of the blue. And some of you are thinking, huh, really? Weird. It is weird. It is weird. Or, or how last, last weekend, I sat down with David just to play for a few minutes together. Um, but then he, he said, hey, Dad, let's build the superstar destroyer from Star Wars. And my first thought was, challenge accepted. Um, and like four hours later, and, you know, we, we did that, and there you go, right? It's, I shirked every other responsibility for the day, and it's been four hours. Am I a good dad? No, I don't think so. Probably just a little bit weird. And I'm not, I'm not the only uh, one of our pastors who's weird. Um, if you're new this morning, I thought this would be a good chance to get to know our full-time staff just a little bit. Uh, for example, Tim, uh, who was up here just a moment ago, he, every morning, the first thing he does when he gets to the office here at, in the church is he makes scrambled eggs and cinnamon toast. I mean, he did that this, this morning, right? Every Every day. I mean, not to mention the beard, right? It's just kind of weird. Um, <laughs> you, you know, it's true. Chris, Pastor Chris, for example, he and his family are vegetarians, and yet I, I, I don't think I've ever seen anybody sneak as many cheeseburgers as, as Chris does. It's kind of, <laughs> there you go, right? Now, now, Jennifer, she's a little bit of a harder one. I mean, first of all, she loves all of your kids, which, I mean, let's be honest, is kind of weird. Um, LAUGHTER 
But something you may not know about her is, is that she, you know, when we started this congregation seven years ago, uh, she was not on staff. She came with us, but she specifically told God that she would come help get this party started if she didn't have to work with kids. <laughs> seven years later, right? That's all, that's all she does, it seems like. Uh, and then Patrick. I mean, where, where do I even start with Patrick? I mean, did you know six months ago, he traded out his office chair for a treadmill, I'm not kidding. This, this, this is his desk. That's it. He's walking on a trip. He works probably, I don't know, 50 hours a week. And he walks. He just walks, right? That's, that's weird, right? <laughs> Anybody else? I mean, that's weird. So that's, that's kind of our team, right? And I love it. I love that we get to work together. I love our staff. And we have an awesome team of people. But we're all, we're all weird. And I'm, I'm guessing... I'm not guessing, I'm saying, so are you, right? We're all weird, right? We all have those things about us deep within that, you know, make you think, really? Is that, could that, could that be true of that, of that person? I mean, humans are all a bunch of weirdos in our own way, and that's, that's kind of what makes us, makes us fascinating. And we Christians, we kind of specialize in our own brand of weirdness, don't we? I mean, I'll, I'll admit it, right? Christians are weird, that's just kind of part of, part of who we are. Now, if you're, if you're not a Christian here this morning, uh, you know exactly what I'm talking about, right? You, you, you see it, you experience you can smell it even here in this moment, with this, a little bit of weirdness. And, and even if you are a Christian, frankly, chances are you recognize that there, there are certain things that are just kind of weird. I mean, even just think about Sunday morning, for example. Where else in our culture do we gather together and sing songs? Where? And we sing to an invisible God, and, and we say things like, thanks be to God, right? Um, we, we stop then and, and for a moment, and we, we talk about an ancient book for, you know, sometimes it feels like forever, right, together. And later on this morning, we're going to eat that which represents the body and blood of a first century Jewish carpenter. It's weird isn't it? Now, some of our weirdness is bad, right? We were really good at alienating outsiders. Our, 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 we've got it all figured out, and we get to go to heaven when we die, na-na-na-na-boo-boo attitude, you know, for the most part, is, is pretty unhelpful, isn't it? There's definitely a wrong kind of weird. And some of us could teach graduate-level courses on that. But there's also a right kind of weird. And in the words that we, we just heard read, I think, I think that's kind of what Peter is getting at. In fact, if Peter were here this morning, this, this ancient apostle, right, what I think he would say to us is, as Christians, you've got to be the right kind of weird. You've got to be the right kind of weird. We're supposed to be unique or set apart. That's what the word holy means. We're called to be different. But you've got to be the right kind of different. So what does that mean? Well, Peter tells us. The right kind of weird raises good questions, answers openly, loves clearly, and follows closely. I mean, you know you're weird, right? But are you the right kind of weird? Now, here's where we get this. 
Peter says that our lives as Christ followers ought to raise good questions. There ought to be a huh factor when people look in and, and, and see, see who we are. Let's, let's reread the first verses here. Beginning in 1 Peter chapter 3, uh, beginning with verse 13. So again, it's Peter writing. He says, Now, who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled. But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for the reason for the hope that is in you. See that last phrase? To anyone who asks you for the reason for your hope. So who's asking? In other words, what he's saying is that we ought to live such lives among the the people who don't believe around us that when they see us, they can't help but wonder. And perhaps even ask, where does your hope come from? Why are, you, why are you so different? What is, what is this, this joy thing? How do, you, how do you live in this way? That's the right kind of weird. Now let's back up just a little bit here. Because again, Peter's writing, and Peter's that, that famous disciple, right? The, the kind of the, the rash and pushy one, isn't he? The one who, who denied Jesus but was reinstated kind of became the, the leader of this movement of Christians after the death and resurrection of Jesus. And Peter writes to a group of Christians who are already beginning to suffer for their newfound belief in Jesus. They're, they're experiencing some measure of persecution. But what's interesting is that Peter, he writes in 62 AD, give or take. That's what most scholars would say, 62 AD. And just two years later, On July 19th, A.D. 64, the city of Rome would largely be burned to the ground, a large portion of it. And Emperor Nero at that time, again, this is just two years after Peter's ride, Emperor Nero, who hated Christians, needed a scapegoat because people believed that he was responsible for this fire. That just was catastrophic on the city. And so historians tell us that Nero, in in a way to find this, this scapegoat, tortured Christians into confessing because he hated them. It was an easy target. And so he did that just two years after Peter wrote this letter. Tacitus, for example, one of the most respected historians of that era. So an eyewitness of these things. He writes, Nero fastened the guilt and inflicted the most exquisite tortures on a class hated for their abominations called Christians. He goes on and he defines Christians as those who follow this mischievous Superstition. They follow this guy named Christus, he says, who was crucified under Pontius Pilate, and who, who they assumed when the, the leader, their, 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 you know, the guy who started the whole thing, that when he was crucified, they assumed that the movement would, would end with him, but that it had broken out through Judea into the Roman Empire. And then he, he goes on, he writes what happened to these Christians two years after the fire, or two years after Peter writes with the fire. Tacitus says, an immense multitude of Christians was convicted, not as much for the crime of firing the city as of hatred against mankind. Mockery of every sort was added to their deaths. 
covered with the skins of beasts. They were torn by dogs and perished or were nailed to crosses or were doomed to the flames and burnt to serve as a nightly illumination when daylight had expired. Our brothers and sisters. You know, I know I say this often, but for me, one of the, one of the, the strongest evidences for the resurrection is that in spite of all of this, the church continued to flourish. I mean, think about that, right? These disciples who ran scared in the gospel, once they encountered a resurrected Jesus, they were able to to spread the message of, of life and love through this Jesus to an empire that tried everything to destroy them and is now found on every continent, right? Hundreds and hundreds of millions of people following this Jesus. One of the greatest evidences, in my opinion, for the resurrection. But do you see it here? So Peter, Peter writes in the Roman Empire to these Roman Christians in, in the empire. They're, they're extended beyond. Peter's probably writing from Rome. Just two years before they'd experience unspeakable suffering. And he says it to them. He says, even if you should suffer for righteousness, you will be blessed. That kind of reminds me a little bit of the, of the Christmas story. Particularly with with Mary. And we kind of forget about with, with Mary, you know, we kind of glamorize it. It's all exciting and wonderful. So the angel comes and says, you know, you're going to have, give birth to the, the savior of the world. And we think, hooray. But think about the unspeakable shame and suffering that would have inflicted upon this young, teenage, unwed, pregnant woman, right? Who everybody in their right mind would have assumed was just knocked up. I mean, she could have legally been stoned to death, for this, the shame and the suffering. And yet she says in the Christmas story, right? What does she say? My soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God, my savior. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. Even in the midst of suffering. Mary is just one in a long line of blessed sufferers. Millions of Christians still suffering, right? Today, We've talked about that, imprisoned, abused, murdered, all kinds of examples. It's hard to believe, isn't it? I mean, uh, such joy in the midst of suffering. Um, hardship that, frankly, we know very little about. And this is, this is what Peter is, is talking about. That when you suffer, when we suffer, specifically in this context, when we suffer for doing good, when you suffer with hope, people will not be able to help but ask calling hardship blessing, suffering with hope and joy. It's weird, isn't it? It's the right kind of weird. So let me ask, what question does your life raise? And if your answer to that is, well, not really any. You know, I'm just... My life's not really any different from anyone else's. I don't really stand out. Then, well, you're not weird enough. Yeah, but Nathan, I mean, it's so rare for us to actually suffer for doing good, right? I mean, how are we ever going to possibly be like those guys or, or even like the, this audience that, that Peter's writing to? And true, I mean, that's, that's out of our reach. We, are, we have so much that we are so blessed with. 
uh, that we don't have to fear those kinds of things. There's only small areas in which we can suffer for doing good, right? For, you know, standing up for the unpopular kid at school or making a, a financially uh, difficult decision, even though it's the right one at work. I mean, those may be some areas in which we do. Uh, but for, for many of us, I mean, what about just even our general suffering? The way that we encounter our daily hardships, what, what difference does that make? Uh, you get passed over for promotion at work, or you get mistreated by a bully at school, or you just find yourself in a lousy marriage, or um, bad news from the doctors. Maybe you just have a really, really, really bad day. Do you respond with, with hope? With, with joy, even? I mean, the way, the way we respond, does it, does it make... Does it make people do a double take? To just to wonder, does it raise questions about the hope that you have? Which, by the way, implies, right, that we're living in proximity with those who don't believe, right? That we're, that we're building relationships where this can be seen and, and lived out. You can't hide away from the big bad world and obey Peter's command here. Think about this. Do you see your hardship as a lack of God's love or as an opportunity. Think about the difference that that would make. I mean, think about the, the kind of positive weirdness that we would be able to demonstrate. If, if I, if, if my first thought in the midst of pain or loneliness or disappointment was not woe is me, but rather how can I use this pain to show how great my God is? What if that was my first thought? Imagine what that, would, what that would do for your kids, right? Seeing you hurting, but joyfully trusting them. Imagine what that would look like with your, with your unbelieving friends, right? To see you legitimately frustrated, right? Not, not making light of it, not watering down any sort of pain that we experience, and yet remaining deeply hopeful. Imagine what that would do. And certainly there's more that we could talk about than just suffering. I mean, what are you known for? Selflessness, generosity, patience, compassion, diligence. All of these can spark those questions. Why are you different? Where does, where does your hope come from? But it's not merely a life that, that raises questions that's so important. It's also a life that answers openly. A, a willingness to engage in conversation about the hope that we have. I mean, what, did, what did Peter say, right? He said, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Now, the word make a defense there, it's the, the Greek word apologia, uh, from which we get our English word apologetics, which means just that, to make a, a reasoned defense for the things that you believe. And, and back when I was in, in college, I mean, I was really obsessed with, with apologetics, um, I, you know, I wanted to know all the arguments. Really, I wanted an airtight argument for why Jesus was the right choice. One, for my own doubts and struggles, wrestling some of those that I still you know, have to wrestle through today. Um, and mostly, though, I think just so I could you know, argue with people, right? And win. In fact, so much so that my very first sermon in a church ever was titled True Apologetics, and it was this, this text that we're looking at. And I'm sure it was absolutely horrible. Honestly, uh, uh, 
Kelly was there, but yeah, it was terrible. And, and mostly probably because I was just an arrogant punk, right? Who, who believed that if I had the right answers for people's questions, that people would just sort of become Christians left and right, right? That, 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 that was all that was, that was needed. And while apologetics, studying the concrete reasons for why we believe and what we believe is important, and there are strong intellectual reasons for choosing Christianity, you can't argue people into faith. That's the wrong kind of weird. So what does Peter mean? What does he say? He tells us to give the reason for the hope that we have, right? What's, what's the reason? Well, Peter told his readers back in, in chapter 1. Um, he said, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And then he describes that hope as, as imperishable, unfading, undefiled, that no matter what we experience, that hardship never has to have the last word in our lives, in our situations. And so our, why are you a person of hope? Why, how would you answer that? What is the reason for your hope? I mean, for Peter, it's Jesus. It's resurrection. It's the fact that, that his story is now our story, and this story is, is moving somewhere. Sure, give a defense. I mean, all of us should be growing in our ability to explain what we believe and why we believe it. We don't shut off our brains when we become Christians. If you need help here, I'd recommend books like uh, The Reason of, for God or, or Mere Christianity, books that have really influenced me personally. Uh, but it's not the argument that Peter's pointing to in this answer. It's the person, Jesus. And so if you, if you want to be the right kind of weird... Ask yourself, what story am I telling? When people look at your life, because they are looking and they are listening, right? What story are you telling them? I think there's two parts to this in many ways. Uh, we tell God's story and we tell our story, and particularly where they, where they overlap. I mean, God's story, right? We, we tell that, I mean, this is, this is the great story, right? That God loves so much that he created out of nothing. He, he chose to make us as, as humans and and we rebelled against him. And because of our rebellion, we, we deserve God's wrath. And yet that wasn't, that wasn't good enough for God. And so he pursued us. And he continues to pursue us. So much so, I mean, the unthinkable that God himself comes, right? Jesus Christ, and he comes and he, he takes away. Instead of punishing us, he takes away the wrath that we deserve. The punishment, the judgment that we deserve for our rebellion. And he died for us. But he didn't stay dead. He rose again and he offers us life and not just eternal life, as important as that is, but wholeness and life now, joy in the midst of whatever we experience. And if this is our story, right, that's the reason for my hope. The God who made me loves me and accepts me. So tell his story. But tell your story too. And how they, how they overlap because I mean, the reality is anybody can argue with any reason you give for your belief, Right? Anybody, it's not that hard. But it's really hard to argue with a person's story. That doesn't mean they're just instantly going to believe and say, hey, yeah, but it's hard to argue with a person's experience. So tell your story. Why are you a Christian? I mean, seriously, why? What, what drew you in? Why Jesus? And rather than the whole host of other options, why here? Why him? What keeps you believing? 
What were you like before you encountered Jesus? And what is your life like now with him? And if you've never really thought about that or even just sort of written that out, I'd, I'd highly recommend it. Um, maybe that's a little homework today. Just, just write, what's your story? How, why Jesus for you personally? And that's a great thing to share with people. Just share out of our own stories. You don't have to have all the right answers. But you can tell what Jesus has meant to you. You may not be able to give an airtight argument for why you believe. None of us can. But you can tell people what Jesus means to you. And you know what? When you do, it'll probably sound a little bit weird. But it's the right kind of weird. Especially when we tell it like Peter t- tells us to tell it. Because that's the third thing. The right kind of weird loves clearly. Because let's be honest. I mean, you can, you can tell your story and be completely the wrong kind of weird, right? I mean, many Christians are, are really good at that, right? We can sound angry and hostile. We can make others who don't agree with us feel stupid or small. You can make the person who asked sorry they asked. I mean, Christians are really good at that. We're really good at being offensive. And some of us get pretty proud of it, don't we? As if being hated for being jerks is what Peter's talking about. It's suffering for doing good, not suffering for being mean. Frankly, if you suffer for being mean and call it religious persecution, shame on you. We can't just raise good questions and then answer them openly. We've got to love clearly. Even people who are different from us. Maybe especially people who are different from us. Even people who drive us crazy. People who don't like us. People who would want nothing more than to destroy us. To love them anyway. And that kind of love is weird. But it's the right kind of weird. So how, how do we do that? How do we love in that way? Well, Peter tells us, right? He says in, in verse 15, he says, do it with gentleness and respect. That's how we are to, to respond. Back in, in verse 14, for example, he said, have no fear of them, nor be troubled, but in your hearts, honor Christ. What he's saying, don't, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid of the people around us, right? Instead, honor Christ. And we honor Christ, right? The one who died for the people, even the people we don't necessarily like. He died for them. We honor Christ by responding with gentleness and respect. And so when you speak about matters of faith, when you talk about your convictions or your story, ask yourself, if you're a Christian, ask yourself, do I know how I sound? Because some of us sound lousy. I mean, even just think about Peter, for example. I mean, I love, I love Peter. Back, back in the Gospels, right, before, Jesus, before Peter really understood who Jesus was, why he came, death, resurrection, all of that, Peter, you know, he's just trying to figure it out. He has all the markings of a bully, doesn't he? I mean, he's like an ex-jock looking for a cage fight, Peter, right? He cuts off that guy's ear, you know, trying to protect Jesus, all of that. I mean, Peter, is, he's, he's wild and crazy. And yet after he realizes who Jesus is, why he came, he writes something like this. When you're suffering, when you're being persecuted, when you're surrounded by people who don't agree with you, who don't like you, who want to destroy you, gentleness and respect. Period. 
How you say it can be just as important as what you say. And without fear, he says. I love that because fear goes both ways, doesn't it? Fight or flight. For some of us, we're, we're afraid of the people around us, and so we, we hide, right? We don't want to ever offend. We don't want to ever share. We're just sort of, you know, we're, we're quiet and hidden, and we don't really want people to know that we're, we're Christians necessarily. But the opposite is also fear, right? When we fight back, it's often we're just defensive, angry. We sound bitter, self-righteous. Oftentimes, we're motivated by the same thing, just by fear. But we're not afraid anymore. We don't have to fear those who disagree with us or those who might laugh at us. We don't have to be afraid of those who very likely could destroy us. Because we have hope. And in hope, we can respond with gentleness and respect. And that makes all the difference. And just, just an example of this, and, and believe me, I am, I am so imperfect at all of this. Frankly, terrible at most of it, honestly. Um, but just, just an example, I, I've got this friend, we've been friends for about 12 years now, and we get together every you know, few months just to sort of catch up and enjoy being together and all of that. And this, this friend is, is gay, and he's embracing of, of a gay lifestyle. I still remember very clearly when he, when he came out of the closet to me several years ago and how that you know, caused some moments in our relationship to figure out what does this friendship look like. Um, and I've never hidden from what I believe the Bible teaches about this. I mean, he knows what I think about choosing that lifestyle and, or embracing that lifestyle. He, he, he gets it all. And yet, we love hanging out. I mean, we, we love to share stories and to catch up. We love to talk about books and movies. I mean, we, we are genuine friends. And I think if he were here, he would say that even though we have huge fundamental disagreements about life and the way life works best, I think he'd say that he's never doubted that I love him. Never. Because I, I don't treat him as one of them. I treat him as a friend because that's who he is. I, I treat him as a, as a person for whom God was, made him in his image, right? For whom Christ died. And that always demands gentleness and respect, no matter what. And just, just imagine, right? If, if that was our first thought with every encounter with every human being we ever had. Just, just think about that. Whether it's the person who flips you off in, the, in traffic, uh, the woman working at the DMV, which, you know, it's DMV, can't get much closer to hell, right, than that. Uh, the, the, anybody who you just have a fundamental disagreement with, yet what if when we saw them, the very first thing we said is, here, here, this person, here is one who is made in the image of the God I worship, who my Jesus died for. What wouldn't change in the way we approach those around us? Listen, as Christians, we can never be okay with alienating or being alienated from anyone. No matter what. Whether education, politics, financial background, I mean, race, religion, sexuality, any, any of that. It's, just, it's not an option for us. Not that we agree with everyone, but being alienated, it's just, it's off limits. And what if this kind of love for all people? I mean, let's be honest. In our world, that kind of love is weird. 
We, we live in a hate-filled world so often, don't we? Bitterness and anger pervades everywhere. That kind of love, the kind of love that, that Peter talks about here, the kind of love that Jesus demonstrates on the cross, it's, it's radical. The best that our world can come up with is tolerance. If we could just tolerate one another. Because who wouldn't love to be tolerated, right? Tolerance is a joke. Christians love. We are called to love one another, not tolerate one another. What, what the, the very best that the world can come up with, we ought to take so much farther because this, this is who we've been called and created to be by the God who, who made us. And it's weird. But it's the right kind of weird. Finally, the right kind of weird also follows closely. I mean, how can we latch on to this bizarre lifestyle? It's only possible because of Christmas. It's only possible because of Good Friday and Easter. It's only possible because this is the one that we follow. And it's exactly the reason that Peter gives. Verse 17. He says, For it is better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, which it's interesting, right? Sometimes it's God's will that we suffer, than for doing evil. Verse 18, For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit. God, you see, God never asks us to do anything he was unwilling to do. It just doesn't do that. I mean, where, where else do you think we get this bizarre, radical lifestyle? It's from Jesus. And I hope you hear this with all respect. But Jesus, he's kind of the weirdest of all of them, isn't he? I mean, there's, there's no category for a Messiah like this. That's why they crucified him. They had no idea what to do with him, right? That's not what a Messiah does. He doesn't come like this. A, a God doesn't enter our world. Even just think about the idea of suffering, right? We all suffer. We hate suffering. We, we loathe it. And yet only we as Christians can say, our God knows what it feels like. No, no other faith back or no other religion can possibly say, our God came. He entered this world. He suffered. He knows what it's like. Whatever pain it is we're going through. Even just think about Christmas. Think about the Christmas story. The God who made the universe, who invented everything, enters this world as a baby. Born into poverty in in a barn by a couple of unlikely Jewish teenagers. There in the middle of nowhere. The God of the universe, right? His very first worshipers are barnyard animals. And the second in that culture were only a shade better, the shepherds, the lowest of the low in that society. When our God comes, that's how he comes. And the Christmas story is weird. And going on into his life, right, instead of being the powerful Messiah that they'd hoped for, the one who would overthrow the Roman Empire, he, he said, love your enemies. He said, submit to those in authority over you. Instead of siding with the religious classes, he hung out with prostitutes and sinners. Instead of coming and bringing judgment on people like me, right, who who love sin, who's selfish and self-righteous, instead of coming to give us what we deserve, he comes to take our place. To get on the cross, 
and die in the place of all who would believe. We who deserve nothing more than judgment. But our God did it willingly. Suffering for us to bring us to himself. And I know we get, we get used to the story. Bored with it even, right? We forget how bizarre it really is. What kind of God does this for his enemies? It's weird, but it's the right kind of weird, and I'm so thankful. So the last question, ask yourself, am I following the one who lived this out? It's the only way it's possible. I mean, it's the only way, frankly, that any of this even makes the slightest bit of sense. Jesus took our place. Forgiveness for our failures, for our failure even to do any good with this, right? We're not very good at this. We don't live this out very well. And yet forgiveness here and yet hope in him that he's continuing to make us into the people that he longs for us to be. That we can live differently. So differently that our life raises questions. We can answer openly. Because we, don't, we have nothing to, f- to fear. God accepts us and he is with us. And we can love clearly for we have been loved even though not one of us deserved it. For he is the one that we follow. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, remind us again of the incredible story it is that our God has come. God, I pray that it wouldn't be merely a tradition, merely a celebration, merely an excuse to have a really fun party. Continue to transform us by what we believe as as your followers to be true, that you yourself, our God, has come and that you long to put this world to right, that you've begun the process. And even though we still experience it, we still suffer, we still feel and face incredible pain and sorrow, we have hope because we know your story's moving somewhere. Lord Jesus, help us to be faithful. We pray this for your glory.